On the evening of November 18, 1987, police went to the mobile home of Russell Keith Dardine, 29, and his family outside of Ina, Illinois, United States, after he had failed to show up for work that day. There they found the bodies of his wife and son, both brutally beaten. Ruby Elaine Dardine, 30, who had been pregnant with the couple's daughter, had been beaten so badly she had gone into labor, and the killer or killers had also beaten the newborn to death. Welcome to another edition of the Rhino Report. I'm Ryan Horn, along with uh, my colleague and best color man in the business again, Greg Yulinchich, is uh, back to join us. And uh, tonight we've got what we're going to talk about uh, with some uh, local Southern Illinois uh, impact here. Uh, the Dardine case, I know most people probably younger than my age don't remember this. Uh, I was 13, I think, at the time the murders happened, maybe 13, 14. And, uh, you know, it was uh, something that definitely horrified and scared all of us here because, you know, a murder that graphic, for it to happen anywhere is is really something. But for it to happen in, uh, you know, southern Illinois, I anything like that, it, it just left us horrified. And I know, Greg, you probably remember a little bit more, you know, I, I mean, I certainly remember when this case happened, but you probably remember a little bit more than I when it did. So what did you remember about this case when it happened? Well, I know I just started police work on my first job, really, at John A. Logan College. Uh, the case was fascinating, yet terrifying. Uh, the the degree of violence done to these people is off the scale. It rates right up there with the Tate LaBianca murders or the Charles or the Charles Manson murders that happened around 1969. Um, there's a lot of unanswered questions, a lot of facts that still need to be that still need to uh, uh, be looked at. I thought I thought we'd take a look at this uh, on this program and just see what we can deduce. Yep, and I think uh, hopefully we can you know, get some interest generated in this because, uh, you know, the family, you know, uh, I'm going to share on our Facebook page, a story from KFES 12 local news station here that shared a story from two years ago with this family. And they still obviously don't have closure from this and they would like to keep, you know, this case and information and, and interest in it going, you know, because somewhere out there, someone knows what happened, you know, because I agree the level of depravity in this is just off the scale. I mean, you know, you ask who would do something like this. The only thing, comes to mind, you know, we talked about Dennis Rader on a recent program, you know, Dennis Rader killed a family just like this, you know, children included, but not very many people, even people that are evil enough to kill adults, very few are evil enough to kill a child, especially beat a pregnant woman into giving birth and then kill that newborn child in the same manner or fashion. I mean, the level of evilness in this case is just off the charts. Well, you've had your experiences with, with hardened criminals, and this is something this degree of violence is something that most hardened criminals would not even do. Exactly. I don't think I've come across too many in the, you know, 20 some odd years I've been doing this kind of work and, uh, and probably you as well, even all, you know, all the investigations and things you've done, you've probably very rarely. And I agree. We probably both met our fair share of, you know, even some pretty dangerous people, but I don't know any that could reach the level of evil. I mean, this is on a satanic demonic level really to do something like this. And, uh, you know, 35 years later, nearly, we still don't know what happened with this. And for those of you that don't know, and we'll tell a little bit more about this, you know, the man, you know, hadn't lived in that area, I don't think, too terribly long. 
Now, he was originally from Mount Carmel, Illinois, and the wife was uh, from Albion. They moved there to work at the water treatment plant at Wren Lake. And, uh, you know, I guess that's the first thing when the day of his their murder that he had not shown up for work. And that was the first clue something was wrong. I guess apparently he was pretty good, pretty reliable about coming to work. And that was the first clue. And, uh, you know, what happened with the bodies, the way, you know, especially with him, the way it was found is it's something you just don't see. And that it is very disturbing about this case. Well, he was shot and mutilated sexually. Uh, His penis was cut off. And if the information that I have is true, his penis was inserted in his mouth. Yep. And that's, that's something you almost almost never, ever see in any area, let alone somewhere like here. I mean, that's more almost has like something you see in cartels and, you know, that level of violence. And, and something I know when we've talked about this just in private conversation, somebody intended to send a message when they committed this crime, no doubt in our minds. Well, uh, we're going to approach this like an academic exercise, and we're going to not necessarily find out who did it, but we're going to try to eliminate those individuals that did not do it. Yep. And, you know, those that don't know about the case also, uh, they, uh, the family, well, after this happened, well, there was a convicted, uh, serial killer in Texas back in, I think 1999 that confessed to this. Um, any, none of his claims were ever validated. And I think there's a lot of doubt surrounding around, you know, most people think it was just a publicity stunt or, you know, maybe to get out of prison for a while and come to, Illinois or something, but you did have somebody confess to this, but it was never proven or validated. Well, yeah, there was no really uh, evidence that he was actually in Southern Illinois. Uh, where, like I said, we're going to take a book out of, uh, or take a, some notes out of Sherlock Holmes. We're going to try to eliminate the impossible and the improbable, no matter how unlikely, will be the solution. Not that we're going to find out who the killer is, but we're going to try to eliminate those that are that cannot be the killer and apply means motive and opportunity opportunity to them. And just for those of you that aren't familiar with this case, uh, Tommy uh, Lee Sills, I believe, was the name of the Tommy Lynn Sills, Tommy Lynn Sills. was the uh, name of the serial killer in Texas that you know made the confession <clears throat> that he had done this. Um, he was executed, I think, what about ten years ago or something like that. So I mean. You know, if he knew something about this case, whatever he knew, he took to his grave. Uh, if he knew anything at all, I mean, we'll never know. I mean, I know most of the officials involved in this case uh, felt that, you know, that he had no merit or anything to his claims or confessions. And we know that happens a lot. A lot of times, you know, these serial killers and types like that love the limelight. They love publicity. So this was maybe a chance he saw to stay in that. We don't know. But <clears throat> would it take somebody of, of a level like that? of a killer like that to, to do something like this, you know, somebody that evil, it have to be, you know, the level again in this area, we just don't see a lot of crimes where, you know, that have a violent nature like that. And also for the children. And then, uh, you know, all these years later remain unsolved. Well, um, the initial investigation, they, they eliminated a number of, uh, of, uh, possible motives. Uh, there was no forced entry. The back door was open. Nothing was taken out of the trailer. Again, they lived in a trailer in Ina, Illinois. Uh, There was no sexual assault on the victim, the woman. Uh, 
So that they eliminated those those possible motives. Yeah. I can remember personally at the time when this happened that everybody feared the satanic cults because this was around the time attention was being brought to that. I think I remember Geraldo Rivera did a special on it, which for the record, we think Geraldo is a douche canoe and we're not a supporter of Geraldo on this show. But uh, just a couple words, Al Capone's vault. vault. Thank you. <laughs> I remember that debacle, too. But he did a big ex- expose on it. And then there were some other things that were starting to come out around that time about how prominent the occult really was kind of underground in America at that time. And a lot of people feel felt that might have been a possibility. But as you noted in your research here, they very quickly eliminated that possibility in this case. Yeah, they're usually accompanied by more type of mutilate, mutilation with the uh, with the victims, who, by the way, were killed with a baseball bat. The baseball bat was actually the son's baseball bat. So this murder weapon was not brought to the trailer. They 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 got the they had they got the baseball bat at the trailer and used it. And for those of you that are not from this area, or maybe even listening from another country, because I know we do have listeners from another country from other countries. Uh, this is Ina, Illinois. This is a town of what, about 2,500 people? Tiny little, if that, if that a rural town mm-hmm. in Southern Illinois, right off of uh, Route 37 and Interstate 57. But, uh, you know, again, any type of violent crime in a town like this is going to be out of the ordinary. But to this level, uh, you know, and, you know, to this day, nobody, I guess, has really even been named an official suspect in this case. Oh, that's a strange thing about it. I think we can also eliminate a professional hit. Uh, a professional hit man would just simply have shot them in the head. But this, again, this level of mutilation of the bodies, I mean, is, is off the scale. It is. And the and again, to kill a newborn child as it's delivered into this world, I mean, that takes a level of evil that I don't think very many of us will ever encounter in our lifetimes. Even people like us and people that work in the system that are quite familiar with dealing with, you know, evil people and, and, you know, whatnot. Uh, I said just a little bit ago, I don't know that I've ever come across too many people. I think that would probably be capable of a crime like this. Well, interesting thing I learned in the, in research, this is all came from the internet, by the way, a man named Thomas Odo, a teenager, actually two years before, almost two years to the day, 11, eight, 1986, I believe it is correction, 85. Uh, he killed his whole family in Mount Vernon, Illinois, which is just up the road from Ina. Uh, the Dardines were killed 11, 18, 1987, almost two years to the day that Odo killed his family. Uh, don't know what connection it is, but just a strange little fact. I remember the Odo case too, because yeah, I was in, I guess I was about 14 when uh, the uh, Dardine murders happened, but I remember the Odell case as well. That was about, yeah, two years before that. I was in, I think, about seventh grade, and I remember that happening too. I remember him claiming uh, temporary insanity, I believe, was the defense that he mounted at that time, and um, I guess was given a death penalty, but uh, I guess that was commuted later and uh, to a life sentence. Um, so, uh, again, I you know, we are not in any way, shape, or form, you know, trying to hint that he's a suspect, but I know when you did your research for the show, that was just something that you know, the parallel on these two struck your curiosity. Well, I think he was incarcerated, Ryan, but uh, it could have been a copycat. Yep. Uh, Very true. I mean, you know, so uh, yeah, it's, 
it's just odd, you know, and it's, it's struggling. And I can only imagine how difficult this is for the family, you know, 35 years later that, you know, they still, you know, have no way to ever have any kind of closure because you don't even have a suspect. I mean, that's ever been officially named. Well, I would like to know more about the victimology of these uh, individuals, the Dardines, the day before they, uh, they met their end to be tactful. Um, the date was November 18th. Yep. So you're talking getting close to Thanksgiving at that time. Yeah. It was Southern Illinois. People hunt. It's cold. The, it gets dark early. Um, it was a, you know, it was a Tuesday, a Tuesday night that they were killed. Yeah. Um, what did these people do that day? What, what was their actions the, the 24 hours before they were killed? I don't know. Yep. I, we know where they work, you know, it's been discussed a little bit and, uh, I believe in the research I'd done for the show, they were uh, active in their local church, um, but the, nobody knew of them to have any enemies, you know, to want to do something like this to them. I mean, there's, you know, most of us out there can think how mad we've been at people in our lives, but I doubt any of us have ever been mad to do something this demonic and just downright evil. Yeah, I believe uh, she, the wife, worked at an uh, office depot or office supply store mm-hmm. in Mount Vernon. Uh, of course, he worked for the Wren Lake Conservatory District. They were both active in the the local Baptist church. Mm-hmm. She, uh, I think, she played a played the instrument. He actually was the lead singer. Yeah, that's exactly. And uh, you know, it, it's just uh, a case that uh, you know, it's so random like that without any kind of leads. You know, and I know, uh, you know, the car of his was later recovered, but you know, never led to any type of leads or anything. Well, his car was discovered close to the Benton Police Department, uh, and the uh, they said they believe that was uh, Keith Thardine's blood all over the car. My question was when I read this on Wikipedia, I said believed. Shouldn't didn't they do any tests? Yep. And you know, around this time, I know DNA was in really infant stages, and but at that time, you know, blood you know testing was a fairly common thing for for quite a while at that point. So. I didn't find anything either what type of if there were any type of blood tests or anything done. But what we are hoping is maybe through today's technology, somehow, you know, maybe, as you said, at least eliminate some possibilities. If not, maybe, like I said, we're not here to solve this case. He and I aren't. But it's a local case we both remember. And, you know, we're hoping people don't forget. And hopefully, uh, you know, like you said, at least maybe eliminate some possibilities here, because at this point in time, other than the occult and uh you know, some others like that. Nobody's really been ruled out. Well, to go back to the old, uh, the old uh, investigating cl- investigative class they used to teach, a good a good investigator uses uh, questions like a surgeon uses a scalpel. For instance, you have a. You, I used to draw a picture of the a round circle representing the world. Uh, you asked a question if somebody committed a crime. Well, was that person male or female? Well, it was male. You eliminated fifty one percent of the population. Exactly. And I don't know that's that's ever done. They haven't eliminated that. Okay. This killer was a male, you know, like you said, with the blood splatter, you know, we could, you know, through technology that we have now, you could probably size down the size of this individual that did this. And I don't know that that's even been done. Well, I don't know how much study has done with the blood splatter. I mean, if you hit somebody with a, with a, with a baseball bat, when you, when you raise that bat up, 
it's going to leave blood splatter on the ceilings, on the walls. There is now a whole science dealing with this that can maybe tell the height of the subject and a number of different things. I mean, uh, a lot of people, and let's bring, bring this out, Ryan, because you teach uh, criminal justice. This is criminal justice is a relatively new uh, discipline. From a science, it really is. Um, you know, it's not been that long ago. I know SIU, uh, where I did my bachelor's work at, and you too, they didn't get a criminal justice department till the early 60s. You know, I mean, as far as looking at it from an academic and scientific standpoint, you are correct. It's and, you know, uh, it, it's not really been around long, even in some of the other social sciences like sociology, psychology. They've had decades of a head start, you know, from an academic standpoint. So, yeah, there's really not been, uh, you know, enough time yet to look at a lot of things from this this point of view. Well, if you come to think of it, about 100 years before this, the Jack the Ripper mur murders happened in London and Whitechapel. They believed that they, if they photographed these women's eyes, they could see a picture, their last picture, of their assailant. Yep. And, you know, who knows? But, uh, you know, somewhere out there, and this person, you know, this has been 35 years now, so I don't know, maybe even the person who did this may not even be alive anymore. Who knows? But, you know, somewhere out there, you just got a gut feeling that somebody out there has to know what happened here. Well, I mean, you can eliminate certain people. Uh, for instance, in 1987, I doubt in Franklin County that a black man committed these murders. I mean, that's just the way it is. You can eliminate pe pe uh, uh, men of black skin. Yeah. And most likely with the, you know, force that was involved in here, you know, I mean, most likely a male, you know, yeah. suspect with the amount of force that was used in this. Well, one of the questions I had, too, that uh, Dar uh, Keith Dardine's body was found separate from his family. Mm -hmm. He was shot. And, of course, we talked about mutilation uh, in a, and hunters found him in a field. Where was this field? Is this field? accessed by the public or is it something that uh, local folks would know? Yep. That's, I guess, never been answered, you know, and, and again, one of these, these questions that need to be answered. Uh, Dardine's car was found at the, uh, or close to the uh, uh, Benton PD, which is almost in the middle of town. I mean, you're thinking that this man killed four people. He's covered in blood. The car is covered in blood, and he just drove it in the mm. middle of Benton, Illinois, and left it, and he got out. What happened to him? There's no bus stations. There's no train stations. There's nothing there in Benton. Not at that time, no. And it's, uh, you know, a lot of questions, again, that uh, that do remain. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I, hopefully we will come to some type of, of conclusion on this someday because, you know, I know, like I said, the family, and, you know, like I said, we plan on sharing this story you know, on the Facebook page. And, you know, if you are listening and you happen to know, you know, you're in the Mount Carmel area and you do know this family, you know, if they ever want to come on the show, we would be glad to have them on and talk about, you know, anything they want to concern in this case, because, uh, you know, I know they would like closure of any type, type at this point. I know at that time it was in his infancy, but they actually asked uh, the FBI to the behavioral profiling unit to come to Benton and profile this case. And they became, I think they were inconclusive. It didn't fit at that time any of their parameters. Yep. Well, like you said, it's, uh, you know, 
it doesn't fit a lot of type, you know, of, of just a common, you know, murder. I mean, uh, you know, uh, like I said, the only thing I can think of is it's got almost like a cartel feel to, you know, with the amount of violence and, uh, you know, viciousness of this case. And, you know, nothing was taken from the property, which is, no. you know, so it wasn't a robbery gone wrong is oftentimes the case in, you know, the, in, in some cases like this, that obviously was not the case because I don't think anything was ever reported stolen from this property. No, I mean, again, we talk about means motive and opportunity The we can't find a motive for this. Yeah. Yeah, obviously, whoever did it had the means and certainly had the opportunity. But yeah, to this day, you know, I mean, if you had even a motive that might help eliminate, you know, a lot of suspects, you know, I mean, uh, you know, if if this was, you know, financial or, you know, something that might have been involved in this, uh, you know, but I, I don't know. And, and God help if there's anybody evil enough to do something like this randomly. I mean, you know, I mean, these are so rare violent crimes because any of you know that violent crime is it it, it does happen sometimes you know, on a random basis, but it's very rare. It's in the single digit percentages. Oh yeah. It's not like the television and movies. Yeah. I mean. And you know, a, a crime of this magnitude and this uh, much evil, you know, graphic violence that was done in this case, you know, for this to be random is just, you know, uh, you, you would have a, a better chance at getting struck by lightning standing on the rings of Saturn <laughs> than something like this to happen. <laughs> exactly. Ryan. I, I want to, uh, Go on a few terms here and look that, that they used in serial killers. Um, one is organized and disorganized. Uh, this this was came to basically so cops could put these people in characteristics other than psycholog psychologists and what they use the other big terms for. An organized serial killer would be similar to uh, your buddy Ted Bundy. You hate to talk about yeah. uh, John Wayne Gacy. Uh, they know what they're doing. They try to make a point of not being caught. A disorganized serial killer is someone that has schizophrenia, hears voices. They don't care if they're caught. I mean, the, the amount of violence, especially done to the to the wife and the baby and the young child, uh, almost looks like a disorganized type of killer. But they they made an effort, and they were they, they make an effort. They made an effort to clean up afterwards. Yeah, I, I was going to mention that, and you are that is. Uh, that's that's strange. I mean, you know, like I said, yeah, any of you that know anything about, you know, killings and serial killers and murders and, and things like that, the, there's there's no conventional pattern in this case that and it's got that's what's got to be frustrating for these investigators is because, you know, there's nothing to really start a trail on in this, you know. Well, you know, after I read uh, the Wikipedia articles and looked at some uh, shows on YouTube, I my feelings were, it's almost like I was looking at two separate crimes. Yeah. Um, it was like uh, the, the, uh, the modus operandi, MO, whatever, and for one was not the same for the other. I mean, I, I have nothing to base this on other than just a feeling or hunch. You know, they're connected because they're both family members. Right. But it just seems strange. I, another term that needs to be defined here is signature of a crime. Uh and maybe, you know, the, the people in Franklin County, the detectives know this, is a, a, a signer, signature of the difference from a modus operandi or MO is that, that it's something unique for that individual. It's like uh, something that has nothing to do with the commission of a crime. One example I used to use if, is somebody robs a bank and tells, okay, everybody disrobe. So they're more like, not less likely to run out in the street. 
That's a that's an mo. Yep. A signature would be, okay, all you women disrobe. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, there might be something there that we don't know about that's unique signature of this individual that may we may be able to find out where he's he's did this done this particular signature before in a but, different crime. Good point. And we're getting close to time and we there's no way we'll be able to wrap up, you know, so we will be discussing this case on a very near, uh, you know, future episode. Um, so we'll always like to leave the last few minutes of some, you know, some parting thoughts. Uh, not this is not Springer's you know, final thought on here. You are the father, <laughs> Ryan. <laughs> but uh, and there is some good news on the dog front. I, I don't have any. Uh, we are we don't have any current fosters. We will be getting one uh, probably next week. But uh, Panda, if any of you are following us on the Facebook page, uh, not Panda, um, Miss Paisley, the uh, you know Pyrenees that we had here, uh, she got adopted. Nice family. Uh, looks like uh, she's got a good life ahead of you, her. So thanks to those of you out there on the Facebook page that shared and and helped. Uh, help make another success story. And uh, the last time all this very, very quickly here, follow up something Greg did, turn off the news as much as you can. It is, they're ruining the country. You know, find alternative sources like this, you know, Bongino, Levin, there's plenty of good podcasts out there. You can get real legitimate, non, well, we're biased, but we admit it. And, uh, you know, you're going to get a perspective that you're just not going to get on that news. So, don't drink the Kool-Aid, is this my point? Exactly. It's propaganda. I mean, there's other outlets. We you know, we have cell phones. We have uh, computers. You can get on there and look and get a real, a real, uh, uh, the real news, the real news that's out there, not propaganda. Yep. So, uh, again, if you do have any information that you think would be valuable uh, in this Dardine case, uh, you know, I mean, not... You know, if you have actual tips and, you know, something that needs to be, you know, you have knowledge of the crime, if anybody's out there, a small chance that needs to be reported to police. But if anybody has anything they'd like to add, you know, anybody from this area, especially that remembers this and, you know, would like to uh, discuss it. And, you know, like I said to the family out there, if any of you happen to hear this, uh, you know, we hope you find justice and we'll, you know, continue to, you know, do a story on this from time to time, because this is a. Uh, Something that just doesn't happen in our part of the world very often. It shouldn't happen anywhere. But, uh, you know, when it does, the the victims' families, they deserve, you know, closure. Oh, exactly. I mean, the men and women, the mothers, the fathers, the cousins, the aunts, the uncles. Um, my murder, any murder, affects all these people. So, well, Greg, uh, anything else to add? No, Ryan, I'm just happy being the best color man of the business. <laughs> yep, and he's not the best color man in the business for nothing, folks. But uh, <laughs> we will be revisiting this and uh, probably some other local cases. Uh, you know, we've talked about some other ones that we will. Um, got another episode that is out at the time of this one uh, on Bernie Madoff, recent uh, white collar criminal that died. And I plan on doing some uh, white collar episodes in a little bit. That was always an, a subject that fascinated me. I did my thesis work on that and uh We'll talk about uh, greed because uh, those type of crimes do fall under the radar. They fly under the radar a lot, and people don't realize that, you know, these these people are dangerous, and they, they ruin a lot of lives, too. But uh, anyway, uh, to all of our fellow, you know, deplorables and Neanderthals, whatever we're called today that are listening, we do thank you for your support and keeping this show going. Uh, follow us on Facebook. Uh, we do have a donation link. You can donate as little as 99 cents a month and help uh, – support our podcast uh, and keep it going. 
But uh, we appreciate all of you that are listening out there, and uh, we look forward to uh, forward to the next episode.